he chooses his time, he selects his place, he limits his stay, he plans his doing, now he's reckoned on his profits, if you will, and uh, he displays this, uh, this conviction that this expedition is going to achieve some goals. Um, and you thought capitalism wasn't in the Bible. I mean, here it is, it's laid out for you right just plain as day. Uh, so this is a, he, he's describing this Jewish merchant. Let me give you just an value. This is the application part of the message, right? There's certain exposition, then there's application. You need to know the difference between exposition means this is what's here. Application means this is the way I look at it. All right, now I'm application, I'm going this way. Exposition, it's coming this way. All right, so now we're looking back at this way. Application, if you will. There's nothing wrong with capitalism or making legitimate profits. Uh, capitalism, uh, the profit motive is a great incentive for hard work and effort. We want to see results. That's a great thing. But that cannot be our primary objective or our singular goal. It can't be the only thing that drives us. Okay? It has to be something else. All right. Um, nor is it, it's not wrong to plan. You know, I've got uh, friends that really don't like to plan let be moved by the spirit, uh, but you know animals are created with instinct. Uh, but you, we as human beings, have been given brains and reasoning capacities. Uh, we need to think ahead. We need to use foresight, look down the road, and think where we're going, what's what's happening here. Certainly, God's not opposed to planning. Uh, he he gave Moses instruction for the tabernacle. I mean, it was a detailed plan, wasn't it? The curtains are this color, they're that long, they're this, you make this out of that, make this so it, God's a very detailed planning person. And certainly I think it's a godlike quality to be a planner, to think ahead, to use these things. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Let all things be done decently in order. God is not the God of, uh, God of confusion. So we need to think about and have an orderly life, have a planned out life. That's a good thing. Jesus never prohibits planning. He does prohibit worry and anxiety. Don't be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow the care of itself, and each day has enough troubles of its own. So instead of waiting for some mysterious movement of my spirit, oh, this is the way I should go, uh, we should think about these things, plan them, think ahead. This is what this man does. Uh, the church is designed to operate uh, by the oversight and the determination of the plurality of elders. The elders get together, they think down the road. This is where we're going. This is what should happen. This is, this is when it should happen. And, of course, it's a, a plurality of elders' approval of congregation. Even the elders need to, if something, everybody says, I don't like that, that's something wrong with that, they ought to back off and say, wait a minute, maybe we ought to think about this a little bit too, that kind of a thing. So even in the decision of the deacons, it was with the congregation's approval. Everybody had, the word there is to raise the hand. To, I, I vote this guy. This is what I prove too. So there's a mutual working things together, working with other people, planning together, if you will. So it's not a dictatorship. It's not a CEO model or even a small clique. It's the, it's the God-ordained planning, grouping together, working together. Much better to plan involving other believers, uh, spirit-filled believers, spirit-led believers, uh, biblically educated believers, uh, and then certainly not leaving God out of our plans. And again, our, our problem isn't uh, 
so much that we're planning. Our problem is that uh, uh, what, what we're not doing in our planning, and as his case is, his plans didn't involve God. He just totally left God out. We were doing everything. It's like the, the church growth movement today says the church won't grow any bigger than its parking lot. So it's the parking lot that determines the growth of the church. You know, so, why, what is it? so all that's a worldly thinking, and it kind of eliminates God out of, out of the equation here. God's agenda needs to be factored into our planning and our living, if you will. So basically, <clears throat> he says, he gives this illustration of this uh, Jewish merchant, traveling merchant, and then he, 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 he says this is a uh, presumption here is, uh, you make these plans, yet, verse 14, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So this verse basically is, is a, a parenthesis. He, he just throws this in a little extra, something extra he threw in. Yet you don't know what your life will be tomorrow. It's just a vapor appears for a while and then vanishes away. Um, the two main problems of a secular worldview are basically the uncertainty of the future. I don't know what the future is going to be. I don't know. God knows. But I don't know. And then basically the ability of man. I can handle whatever comes down the pipe. Those are two basic problems of secularism. And this is what he's saying here is that you're not... You're making a presumption here that you shouldn't make here. Uh, this is a you're 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 operating on a worldview that understands all life and values in the light of the here and now, and man is the measure of all things. Uh, basically, one of the problems we run into is that the here and now is soon the then and gone, and we miss the here and now, whatever it was. And then we're basically uh, speaking for myself, ignoramuses when it comes to knowing how the future is going to turn out. We really don't know that. Only God knows that. So basically he says, uh, this is a problem of presumption. You make these plans, but you're presuming certain things. And he says, first of all, you're ignorant of the future. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. This merchant that he's describing and illustrating for us here, <clears throat> he presumes that he has an entire year at his disposal. Well, he doesn't know that. It's kind of like the man here in Luke chapter 12, uh, which uh, Jesus gives in this parable. Luke 12:16. it says, He told them a parable saying, A land of a certain rich man was very productive. He began reasoning in himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. There will store my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Come, take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then God adds, But tomorrow you will die. And then the next verse says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. And now who will own that which you've prepared? So here's the presumption, this ignorance of the fool of this foolish merchant planning on things without factoring God into the, into the equation. Uh, basically, the truth is we can't tell the future. I have no accurate way of knowing what lies ahead. Only God has that. God knows exactly what when I'm going to die. He knows exactly when Jesus is coming. He knows all this stuff. I don't know that. I'm not 
privy to any of that information at all, but I have to trust him. He knows it. I commit myself to that, that, that trust, if you will. So this presumption here is a form of practical atheism that disregards the will and the role of God in our daily life. And that's what he's illustrating for us here, assuming that I'm in total control of my life and my future, and really that's not true. The problem we face in presuming I'll be able to handle what will happen in the unknown future is, 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 is this presumptiveness, if you will. Uh, we should never presume on tomorrow. Psalm 49.11 says, Their inward thought is that their house will continue forever, their dwelling place to all generations. They call their lands after their names. It's kind of like Samson, you know, after he had his nice haircut. <clears throat> he says in Judges 16.20, I'll go out as other times before, shake myself. But he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. I'm going to do this. I, I don't, you know, I, still self-reliant, if you will, uh, ignorance of what, 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 where, where God is in this whole thing. And in Proverbs 27, 1 says, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. So <clears throat> the, the presumption here, besides being ignorant of the future, there's this arrogant uh, self-confidence, if you will, uh, it, especially when we don't factor God in. When we have confidence in Him, not in ourselves. So basically, he says, uh, this is an exhibition of arrogant, self-reliant on myself in, in the present hour. You're just a vapor, he says, that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. <clears throat> i got this whole sermon I've been working on about the um, <clears throat> supermen, our present day uh, transcendence of man, uh, where our brains and their little cell phone, you know, we've, we've greatly increased our mental powers here. All I have to do is punch the button and I'm, I'm smarter than everybody I knew back in the 50s, all right? A lot of you never discovered America before the 50s. I understand that. But anyway, it's a, our brain capacity is greatly enlarged. We're X-men. We're supermen, if you will. We can even replace our knees, our hearts, our, our lungs, our kids. We, we're, I mean, we're bionic men. We're amazing. Uh, but this basically says, um, you just think you're a super chicken. Really, this is wisdom from below thinking. And all the resources of this world upon which we rely to give us security and significance are actually just a puff of smoke. It's just, it's really, it's a vapor. It's here and it's gone. Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Your life is no more than a mist. It's just a vapor, a breath that appears momentarily like uh, this, this hot steam from a kettle in the cold air. But it, it vanishes away immediately from sight. Our present earthly existence, including all of our abilities, our so-called positions, our titles, our possessions, all these things are just transitory and they're totally lacking any eternal substance. There's no eternal substance to these things. First uh, Peter 1.24 says, For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away. Proverbs 25.14 says, Whoever boasts in himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. 
so instead of being X-Men, this is that's a that's a sta- that's a presumption here that that's not true. It, it lacks validity, eternal validity, if you will. So it's basically this uh, ignorance of the future, arrogant self-reliant on ourself in the presence. These are the two problems. And so then he corrects them in verse uh, 15 here. Get back to my text. <clears throat> Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we should go to such and such city and spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. You don't know that your life will be tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. <clears throat> so basically, he, he corrects them what they ought to do And then the qualification here is instead you ought to say if the Lord's will. So here it says all of our plans and hopes need to be qualified by conscious acceptance, submission to the sovereign will of God for our life. Instead of leaving God out of the equation, leaving God out of our plans, he should be acknowledged as the one that has absolute authority over my life. And he he alone effectively controls my life, my activities. So this uh, idea of selfishly planning based on confident assumptions of the future and my ability to handle the future is actually an encroachment on the divine prerogative. We're, we're setting ourselves up as gods. And this is what he's attacking in this section. And that's the way the world thinks, isn't it? I mean, you're a little god. You can do whatever you want to do. It's interesting, a little expression, God will. I remember the first time I was reading it, uh, author Pink book, I think, and he had a little DV in there, and I'm, you know, got this third grade education, I'm reading DV. What's he talking about? Who's DV? And uh, this abbreviation for, uh, uh, it's a, the Latin abbreviation for the Lord wills. It's the Lord wills. And certainly, this expression is found a lot in the scripture. Paul says it over and over that I'm going to return to you, God willing. You know, you see it a lot in the scripture. Um, uh, I may find my way in the will of God to come back and see you. Uh, I'm going to come and see you there at Corinth if the Lord wills, if the Lord permits. Uh, Hebrews 6, uh, uh, we'll cover this if the Lord permits. And so it always factors in the will of God in our life and our thinking, if you will. I don't think it should be a fetish. Um, but it needs to be something that's actually a realistic expression of of, our, of what we truly believe and think. It shouldn't just be some verbalized formula, you know, where, honey, I'm going to go to the store, I'll be back in a half an hour, Lord willing, i got to throw that in. You know, that doesn't really mean it. It's kind of like when someone sneezes, and they, Lord bless you. We're not to take the Lord's name in vain. We, we, yeah, it needs to go through our brain and our heart before we speak it on our lips. So it shouldn't just be some some little rote statement that doesn't really mean anything. You know, just something we say. Oh, all Christians say that. That doesn't mean anything. They just say it. Kind of like the preacher looking at his watch. It doesn't really mean anything. So they just say these things. It doesn't really go through their heart and mind. But he's he's not talking about this little fetish uh, that, you know, the Lord willing here, Lord willing there. But basically, he's understanding truly that I want God's will for my life. Uh, I want his, I, Instead, we ought to be saying and thinking, I'm going to do these things if the Lord should will. And of course, Paul deals with the same basic problem that James is dealing with here, where we trust, trust in the world 
instead of the Lord. In, in Romans 12, 2, it says, don't be, calm, don't be conformed to this world. And that's what James has been saying. Don't, don't follow the, 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 the wisdom from below or worldliness, if you will. Don't be conformed to this world, but be, transforming, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So you're going to work out God's will. So God's will is always good and acceptable and perfect, if you will. So this is what James is wanting us to do. Total agreement with Paul. You know, this is it. Don't, don't be in conformity to the world. Be conformed to the will of God. Make that your priority here. That's the quality. Instead, you ought to be committed to the will of, the will of God. <clears throat> So how do we do that? How do we determine the will of God for our life? Glad you asked. I'm going to give you nine nine things. You can write these down. Next time you have a decision to make, you're going to point one, two, three, four, five, down to nine. Okay. First, first thing you should consider <clears throat> in determining the will of God and direction for your life is: Does it express submission to the Lordship of Christ? Is this whatever decision I make? Is it an expression? That Jesus is my Lord, and I'm, He's the Master of my Lord. And he, the Lord's submission to the Lordship of Christ is the first one. The second one, is this decision I'm about to make in agreement with the Scripture? I mean, if, it, if the Scripture says, don't do that, well, don't be doing it. Okay? If the Scripture says, do it, and I'm not doing it, I need to do it. The Scripture says to do it. All right? So, so the Lordship of Christ, agreement with Scripture, Third thing, bathed in prayer. I've I prayed about this, you know, instead of just, I'm just going to do it. No, I need to ask God, bring it before the Lord, spread it before the Lord, spreading my helplessness before the Lord. God, help me in this decision I need to make. I don't know what to do. And the fourth thing is, have I examined my motives? What is my motive for my, when, you know, I'm going to, like, let's say, for instance, I'm going to quit a job, move to another city, take another job. How's this going to affect? Where does God fit in all that? Does God fit into that? He should. I've had a lot of people in church situations that have just moved off. We never. What you're moving? I never heard about that. You know, why are you moving? Uh, more money. What about churches there? What about your children? What? What are, what are your motives in that? I mean, what's what's the driving motive behind these decisions? And then fifth, there should be some. Spirit's prompting in the thing. I think there's a there's a place for that. I don't, you know, I'm not. I don't think you should have this liver shiver or this heavenly gaze where the spirit is guiding you like a finding water with a willow thing. That I'm not for that. But certainly, spirit does. You know, a lot of times it's like, I I think we ought to do this, and then my wife will say, you know, I've been thinking the same thing. You know, and then a friend will say, you know, the Lord's. I think maybe you ought to do this. So that this, the Holy Spirit prompts these things, and I think He does that. I think that's another indicator uh, that will help us in our decision making. Then I need to have peace about it. Once I make this decision, that there's a sense of what, yeah, I feel feel this is right. The seventh one is the one I've always missed out on, and that is, have you have you um, sought out godly counsel? Most people do things and they never actually come to their brothers and sisters in Christ and say, you know, I've been wrestling with this issue. And I, what do you think? Let me run it by you and see what you think. And get there what they think about it and bounce it off them. Most of the time, we never, it's like, you're moving to Yuma, Arizona. What? What happened? I, why? Who's, what's going on there? I never heard about this. So we need to bounce things off. We do need to. 
seek out godly counsel. And then, of course, there's always the providential circumstances. We usually put these things the first. Oh, hey, God opened that door. I'm going to run right through it. doesn't always work that way. Remember Jonah? He went down, found a ship that was headed in his direction. He even had the money. I mean, the wind was just right. All the circumstances were right, but it was the wrong thing for him to do. He wasn't supposed to do that. So you can't always depend on circumstances. And then the final thing here is, is it an expression of faith? When we make this decision, am I expressing really trust and confidence in God in doing this? All right. So those are the nine helpful hints, <laughs> uh, Martha Stewart hints on making decisions for your life. All right. Here we go. So <clears throat> anyway, he he's qualifies. He's, this is what you should do. You should consider the will of God. And if God wills, he says, that we shall live and also do this or that. So planning needs to be based on the understanding that God is in charge of all the complexities of life, the uncertainties of life, um, the brevity of life. And uh, we need to humbly be in submission uh, to the will of God for our life. All of our life, all of our activities... Um, Whatever we're able to do with our life, we're totally dependent upon the will of God. That's Psalm 31, 14, and 15, very key verse in light of this passage here. It says, But I, I trust in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in thy hands. My life is in your hands. My times, how I live and move and have my being, all that is in your hands, oh God. So this is the, this is how we should live, if you will. The Lord will live, I want the Lord's will because all my times are in His hands. So providence, you can't, I think divine providence can neither be neglected or defeated. I mean, God's gonna work His plans out no matter what. We shouldn't be running against them or away, away from them. We should want to be in, in tune with those plans for our life. And uh, certainly need to be evaluated by His standards, Scripture, uh, His His goals for our life, these things, laying these things out before Him in prayer, certainly deferring to His will. Jeremiah 10 says, I know that in man, uh, the way of man is not in himself. Uh, it's not in man that walks to direct his steps. Jeremiah 10.23 uh, Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart divides his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Um, certainly we need to submit ourselves, uh, humbly submit. And that's for this whole section. Uh, remember the Ten Commandments. Uh, basically, we're to, uh, God gives grace to the humble, and it's the humble submission to the Lord. That's kind of the first step in obedience to God here, is humbly submit to his will. Then he evaluates what a planning without God mounts to, verses 16 and 17. He basically says, but when you do this, it is evil. You boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. But as it is, it's an interesting statement. He, he's focusing upon their presumptive uh, living in the now. As it is now, this present world-oriented, man-centered, here and now, secular frame of reference is basically wrong. You're just... It's wrong because you're boasting in your arrogance, first of all. Uh, the only thing worse than ignoring God's will is rejecting God's will. <laughs> I just, a lot of people ignore it. And, but here we're talking about someone who, who's not actually ignoring. He's not doing what he knows he should do. And, and he's bragging about it. He uses these two terms, boasting and arrogance, together. It's interesting that when they come together, they're actually expressing a, 
uh, a root form in uh, in that era, which was a man that w- went from town to town hawking his wares. You know, this will cure whatever. You know, all you, one bottle of this and, and you're, you'll be cured forever. You know, he's but he's a charlatan. He can't deliver. I mean, he he claims these things, but he he can't deliver on his claims. It's an arrogant boast. It's an empty presumptuous, actually a loud-mouthed, bragging, uh, wandering, hawking my wares. And uh, James is saying, you're just gloating over human ability, uh, asserting your self-sufficiency. I know that sounds like the American way, but that's really not the biblical way to do things. And uh, Paul talks a lot about this. You know, what makes you to differ from another? What is it you have that you didn't receive? In First Corinthians four seven, and then Second um, Corinthians ten seventeen says, "He that glories, let him glory in the Lord." So don't be presumptuously boasting and and glorying. And this is arrogant, uh, if you will, arrogant boasting. Uh, and it's something. It's a presumptive, self-reliant uh, arrogance of man, worldly arrogance. Uh, that's in sharp contrast to this humble, submissive trust. That, that James is telling us this is commanding. This is what he wants to see in us right here, not this other. This other is, is, does not achieve the will of God, if you will. So it's, a, it's this arrogant boasting is based on human speculation, imagination, my ability, um, you know, thinking that, uh, you know, I can do this, I can do that, but, you know, you, you could die too, <laughs> or Jesus could come. Uh, so you really don't know what what the future holds for you. So uh, you're wandering around in an unreal world, bragging about what you really don't have there. Uh, you're telling people to get out of the car because it's yours, but you're delusional. It's a delusion that this is actually I'm in charge and. And I can do this, and I don't need God. That's that's delusional thinking. If you that's the way the world thinks. Um, if there's anything we have the right to rejoicing, it's it's God's word. You know, it's His will. We rejoice in the will of God that it would be done, not any kind of secular speculation. He says, "But as it is, you boast in your arrogance," and then he adds, "All such boasting is evil." Um, there's some boasting that's the word such here indicates there's some boasting that's okay. Uh, Paul says something, I'll not glory except in the cross of Christ. That's, I'm going to glory in that. That's something I can brag about. Uh, rejoicing in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.3. 3. But certainly the boasting here is an arrogant boasting in my human ability, if you will. Uh, and he describes it as evil. Uh, the word is actually wicked, pernicious. Uh, Satan is called the evil one. This is uh, usually something that's applied to something that's satanic. And of course, the world is driven by satanic values and goals. And it's anti-God, if you will. Uh, it's the, it's, we don't want to be connected to the evil one. And, and this, this boasting is, is evil. It connects us to the devil. Um, it's like Cain, who was of the wicked one. 
the evil one. So this is the uh, evil boasting, if you will. He says this is something, this planning without God for a believer is just pure evil. We're thinking what we're driving one one time down to, to Lawton and we saw this in Chickasha. They've got these soccer fields and I mean, the car lot was packed. And this was like 9.30 in the morning. And this and then we came back, it was still packed. And now that's evil. We take kids out of church, out of the opportunity for church. Let's keep them busy playing soccer. I'll keep them going. That'll keep. Oh, it's such good exercise. They're getting a lot of. You know, it's so wonderful. What they're doing is hauling your kids away from the church. Church doesn't mean anything. That's just pernicious. That's that's wicked. That's evil. And so, this ordering your life without ever considering or not factoring God into my frame of reference, he says, is evil. And it's also inconsistent. Verse seventeen. Therefore, he who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. Um, he, he concludes this little section here with, an, with another proverbial saying. And we get a lot of proverbial sayings from James. Uh, but basically, uh, he gives a summary maxim that comprehends evil of, uh, the evil of planning without God. And certainly, he mentions the responsibility to know the will of God, knowing and, uh, and, and, and acting upon that knowledge, these things go together, being responsible. Uh, he who knows the right thing, uh, that which is good, morally excellent, praiseworthy, uh, are, in this case, he who knows what the will of God is, or what the Scripture says it ought to be, and then he doesn't do it, is guilty of negligent irresponsibility before God. Um, so this, the inescapable conclusion here of disregarding the understood will of God is such behavior is evil. It's just evil. And it's, it's, uh, it's negligence. It, are, we're responsible to know the will of God, and then, but we're also responsible to do the will of God. And so there, there are two types of sin. There's the sin of commission, the sin of omission. The sin of commission defined in 1 John 3, 4 says, whoever commits sin transgresses the law of God, for sin is the transgression of the law. But the sin of omission is a little different, and it's just as serious and maybe even more deadly than the sin of commission. The problem with this sin is, it's not lack of knowledge, it's the lack of acting on what we know to be true. It's like, I know this to be true, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, lack of action based on our knowledge. Uh, in Luke 12:47, and that servant that knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Much more guilt on the sin of omission than the sin of commission. A lot of people do stupid things, but this is someone who knows this is wrong and does it. All right, so this is a, or he does, he knows this is what he should do and doesn't do it in this case, if you will. Uh, so it uh, basically it was the sin of the priest and the Levite uh, and the Good Samaritan, the guy laying beside the road. They knew they should have helped him, but they didn't do it. The Good Samaritan actually did it, if you will. So here it, it actually elicits a question of something God can't even do, which uh, Hebrews 2.33 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So uh, we, we don't want to neglect what we know to be we ought to do. Uh, to neglect or disregard God's sovereign authority over our life is a terrible sin. 
it results from having uh, this world-oriented attitude or foolishly thinking that my life belongs to me. Uh, this is an, uh, James is saying this is arrogant self-deification. Uh, it's manifesting this self-sufficiency. I don't really need anything. I can, you know, I'm captain of my fate, if you will. And I disregard God's plans for my daily life. And He isn't factored in at all. So it's a basic attitude uh, for each of us should be, my times are in your hands. My time, whatever, go, Lord, my time is yours. Psalm 31:15. So basically, worldliness is a self-reliant living my life without regard for or submission to the will of God. First John 2:17 says the world is passing away, and also its lust or its desires, selfish desires. But the one that does the will of God lives forever. There's a big difference between living out our self-will, self-pleasure, or self-desires of the world, and the will of God. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these good words of James. They're practical to us. Help us to apply these things to our daily life. And may You be in charge of our life. Father, we pray that our times would be in Your hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.